I'm Susie Anetta, Editor-in-Chief of Design Anthology. And in this episode of the podcast, I'm sitting down with Mark Robinson and David Flack of the Melbourne design firm Flack Studio. David, thank you for joining me. It's great to uh, finally be here with you both, face to face. Yeah, thanks, Susie. It is great to be face to face. We had lots of um, back and forths via the phone in Hong Kong, but I'm glad we got to see you in person. I think this is definitely a much nicer way of doing it. So it was worth the wait. It was. <laughs> so I wanted to start by asking each of you how you would describe 2020 in one word. Start with the easy questions. I would sum up 2020 with the word opportunity. That's a good one. Is there any reason for that? Uh, I think the thing with what we've all experienced is it just highlights the need for community. It highlights the need that we're actually all in it together. Uh, it highlights this, these um, misconceived notions of the other, of the stranger, um, is all irrelevant and you know particularly with what we've watched happen unfold in America you know it is true you know if we're not united we fall Uh, and I think for us we very much were buoyed by the fact that our community in Melbourne came together and not only that we had regular touch points with our international community because everyone was experiencing the same thing and I don't think there's ever been a time in human history where we can say that and so from that I think just leads to opportunity of how awesome it can be if we just start working together. Mm, that's nice. What would you say, David? What would your one word be? I'd say an evolution. I kind of felt many different feelings over the year. And if you transpire that to global events and how it affects multiple different communities or not just our singular design community, but you know, all different facets of what is happening. And I think we, ha- we do evolve from these situations in a really positive way. And I think, you know, I th- probably try and look back on the year and reinforce more positive aspects than thing. Whilst it was hard, I, I do think I feel a very evolved and more accomplished from last year. Yeah, that's a great answer. Um, so, Mark, as you s- mentioned earlier, we, you know, had a f- an exchange of emails and phone calls <laughs> throughout the year as the situation kind of here in Melbourne particularly evolved and, and transpired. Um, and, and I believe that it, there were periods of time where it was fairly challenging for you guys to run the studio, as particularly in the design industry, as um, uh, the construction sites were, you know, the whole scenario around that was changing. So... I'd love to hear a little bit about how the transition from being out of lockdown to now, what has that been like and whether there have been different challenges that you've faced or you know whether you've maybe made or implemented some changes that have come out of that that you think might actually benefit the studio long term? 
Yeah, so during lockdown, and essentially when it first happened, we had no idea exactly what it was. Uh, but we did know that, uh, first of all, the health of our team was important. Uh, but then it became evident that businesses around us were potentially suffering. So our focus points were on those things straight away and they're the things that we focused on. We knew as a business that we had a very strong business model. It was, it's small, we've got a very small team and we've got a fairly healthy, we had a fairly healthy pipeline of projects. So we knew for about 12 months we were okay. So we instantly just started thinking about our team and our community. So our next door neighbours, for example, uh, has uh, lung cancer. So we knew automatically we just had to make sure that we protected our local community as well. So from the team's point of view, um, they worked from home from the start of March and have only just returned in the last fortnight. And Dave and I literally just existed on our street. So it wasn't a bubble of five kilometres, it was a bubble of <laughs> 200 metres. <laughs> and uh, Dave and I obviously run the studio together, but we're also partners. And I think we were lucky, everyone was kind of worried about us, but we live 24 seven. Um, and so that didn't really change. But what did change is the way that we thought of the business. Like we always set up the business to be a space of community, a space of engagement. It's something that we've done from day one, but it highlighted the fact that we really need to um, focus on that area and be more consistent. Um, so that was probably the big take home for us. In the way the studio is uh, managed uh, remotely or within the studio is all about you know, face-to-face contact. So with our studio, it's very rare, I think, that you sit next to both directors. And we also have our third director, Aaron, who's on maternity leave, but our team all sit together. So it's very cohesive um, and at times can be intense. So it was about making sure that we still maintain that level of development because we see that as the most important part of our role is developing the team. Um, So a lot of the time during the lockdown was still maintaining contact with the design team. How we've implemented changes um, since COVID has been, again, about making sure that we still focus on our strengths, which is our design, our community engagement, but also focusing on the type of clients that we work with. So we're not interested in being big. We never have been. Um, Our maximum will be a team of 10. And we're predominantly focused on residential because we love creating spaces that we know our clients will be in in 30 years. And so that's still been the focus. Mm. So, I, I mean, it sounds to me like being small and therefore being fairly agile played a big role in getting through last year. Would you agree with that, David? Yeah, I think, um, well, I think that's very helpful in business in general. So we were lucky to be agile and to be able to hibernate in aspects of our business. And I think that helped us sort of reset some values about how we do run the business internally too. But I think it still gave us an opportunity to look at our broader uh, community uh, and the people that surround us you know I think our immediate gut reaction when uh, we first got into lockdown was we were watching all our hospitality clients basically shut down with 24 hours notice and we just felt this like weird we just 
couldn't quite believe what was happening and we just sort of thought, wow, what, imagine if our business was taken from us so suddenly. So we just felt this sudden urge to be promoting anyone but ourselves at that time and we kept on doing that on the Flag Studio Instagram and then it kind of had led to something that we'd been working uh, on in the background, which is our Flack and Friends Instagram, but we just sped that up yeah. quite rapidly and, you know, really started focusing on... Uh, artists that had lost their shows, our hospitality mates or anything related to what makes our studio great uh, really started sort of being uh, channeled and funneled through uh, this this new Instagram handle. But it, uh, for us, I think it was a really lovely thing to start sharing this thing and the engagement was really strong and uh, it, it, it kind of has made us rethink a lot of things that we are focusing on how to push these forward a little bit more Mm. and I'm curious to know if there's been conversations with the team about um, you know the work from home situation is that something that do you think there's a desire for that to continue going forward or is everyone just you know so happy to be (laughs) in an office surrounded by creative people again I I personally like I think we did really well working from home but I personally struggle uh, with not having the team around. I love the bounce of design. I love having them there. I like the incidental conversations and the little brainwaves that happen, you know, when you're flicking through a book or, you know, you're resolving a detail together that will lead to greater design. And I think our team did exceptionally well working from home and countless hours on Zoom, but I, not speaking for all our team, but I actually think majority of them love being in the office and being surrounded by the environment that we've created. And I think they're all super excited to come back. But I, I do think there's other flexibilities in working from home too. I think the two biggest parts of our studio and the design process is one, our library, and two is our finishes room. So all our, the entire studio was designed around finishes and around books. And that is at the heart of the way that Dave and the design team work. So it was really important to make sure we could get them all back into that process. But it was really interesting and quite telling of who thrived at home and who didn't. So probably 90% of our team preference to be back in the studio because they're A-type personalities. So I think anyone with an A-type personality very much thrive off being around other people and particularly designers. So they were very hungry. Uh, But our more introverted, which weirdly enough would be me and Erin, our other director, uh, Erin and I will hide away from crowds um, because we can get more work done. And Erin kept on saying that she was, you know, gobsmacked at how much work she got through at home because she wasn't being harassed (laughs) all the time. It's a good word. Where David (laughs) enjoys... I call it harassment, Dave calls it bounce. <laughs> but Dave loves that bounce and that's what he re- referenced because that's where good design comes from. Mm. And uh, our studio is is open to the fact that it's all around the finishes and we have our uh, tables where all the finishes are on, where the team will be working from. So even if a member of the team aren't working on that project, they're actively engaged in the conversations around it. And um, I know Dave loves that process. Mm. Yeah, so speaking of that, I actually kind of wanted to go back to maybe the very beginning because you 
David, you set up the studio and then Mark joined a little bit later. How, how long was that time frame in between you joining uh, Mark? I was bubbling away for a few months um, before I launched Flex Studio in November 2014. And then Mark and I met in February 2015. So, um, yeah, I think... <laughs> I think set up a landline and um, <laughs> someone called <laughs> and I think I was like gobsmacked <laughs> that someone knew our number um, and, and they had called and I think he was watching me fumbling, taking taking the phone call. Well, I think I was very confident at that phone call. <laughs> he might beg to differ, but uh, it did lead to, hey, I think um, I think I could help you out. And um, Yeah, it was, it was weirdly our second date and... I was waiting for David and the studio was essentially in his bedroom and he was almost, I walked in and he was almost crying in front of the computer because he had a deadline and that's when I said, look, ignore dinner, let's just get this done. And I weirdly, after knowing David probably for 72 hours, sat down and we started looking at these plans. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, and yeah, and then from there, it was very clear that Dave had something and I could see that. And um, the interesting thing about the design of the studio is Dave was getting all these calls and just didn't know what to do. It's not, he didn't, not that he didn't know what to do. He didn't really know where they were coming from. Mm. And I worked out very quickly that they were coming from uh, word of mouth from suppliers. So David had previously worked at KPDO. Mm. Uh, therefore, he was welcoming everyone at the studio. Uh, lovely country boy. And they remembered him. So once they heard he'd set up his own studio, they were like birds just telling everyone. So the phone just started ringing. So I, my background is film direction. I'm a writer. And so I was working on a script at the time. And I said to Dave, yeah, I can help you out. But it just didn't stop. <laughs> and that phone didn't stop ringing. <laughs> so, I mean, I guess really the two of you have, have set up the studio together, I guess. I mean, what it is today and what we know of Flax Studio today is, is very much the two of you. Um, I'd, I'd love to have you both talk a little bit about what kind of team culture and, and work culture you wanted to, um, you know, bring into Flax Studio. Was it a conscious decision or do you think it's just kind of evolved naturally? Uh, I would say it was always conscious. Uh, um, I, would say, I would say too. Yeah, the interesting thing about the studio... And it took me a while to kind of really understand it is David, and not many people know this, but um, me joking about David not knowing how to answer the phone isn't, isn't necessarily accurate. Dave um, has an amazing um, design ability, but he also has this innate understanding of business. And so prior to um, me meeting Dave, Dave had already done the legwork uh, with kind of breaking down what he wanted the studio to be. So he knew, f and Dave will speak to this, but he knew very quickly that he didn't want to set up a studio that wasn't going to be successful. He knew he didn't want to set up a studio that wasn't engaged in the design industry. And he wanted to create, create something that actually did what it said uh, and wasn't necessarily about ego. It was about creating a space for multiple designers to come in under the banner of Flax Studio. So that has always been something that we're focused on. Mm. Um, as per now, we have Aaron Lambrecht, who is also one of our directors. Uh, we will be bringing in architecture. Uh, and the focus with our team is to develop them into those roles within the studio. So we see it more as a family rather than a business. 
And so sometimes that can be added, pestri- uh, added pressure for anyone entering because for us, we're like expected parents. Because <laughs> we want them to thrive in the studio, but we also want them to be there in 20 years. Yeah. And not only that, we want our team and we've always wanted our team to benefit from the success of the studio. So that includes uh, we take our team overseas every two years uh, and there's a lot of programs that we do in the studio to help their development. And what we're looking for is almost people that are similar to Dave and I where we both came from backgrounds where we never took opportunity for granted. Mm -hmm. And it was always making sure that whatever opportunity we had, we grabbed it and we ran with it. And that has always been the success of the studio. So every project, every story comes from a phone call where we knew there are our clients and the next day we are meeting with them. Uh, and then we are taking that opportunity to something bigger. Um, neither of us have access to a community where we can just do our friends and family homes. So everything that we've built has been built from word of mouth. Mm, yeah, that's, I think, a really important point. Um, and you've just said a really lovely thing about David in, in that, you know, you have this innate sense of business. I would love to know where you think that came from. Did you have any role models? Um, you know, whether it be maybe not necessarily family, but even uh, jobs after university or even lecturers? Mm. Definitely. I grew up in a construction family, so mum and dad have always had their own business. So very much I understood business from an early age, highs and lows, a lot of lows. Like I remember the 90s recession and my parents losing everything and rebuilding their their business back up. You know, I remember the successes. So I definitely was always surrounded by that. That also uh, sparked my interest in construction. So I was always on building sites with my dad and we'd move house all the time and they're probably really bad, but I was designing these houses, you know, from a very early age, which I, I could remember every single house. And um, I just was always obsessed with it. Um, another sort of pillar of strength for me was um, my art teacher from year 10, 11 and 12. And I, I think the foundations of what we are now, I always think back to all my vulnerabilities as a person. And I think they've always made me have acted as my strength to creating this studio and I I think uh, on reflection and how we're growing you know I sort of created these little safe worlds for myself you know I was always a bit of an outcast in in primary school and in high school you know so I'd always create these little safe little worlds away and be dreaming of something else so I think I've always been a, a dreamer you know and I think that helps a lot you know and I think it does lead to some levels of I think you need to take a lot of risks with business and I've always I've always sort of known that if you invest and you're kind of passionate about something that we could throw everything at it because I always think well <laughs> nothing else I can't even I don't even know what else I would do you know so but now I think what what can we now like so many opportunities have opened up that I feel like we can do a lot a lot of other things and I'm so interested in so many other things but I always felt like this is this is was meant meant to be and I could always throw everything at it and I think that's always what has spawned Flax Studio from the start it's just like my eternal passion for creating you know and I only ever wanted to work with people that kind of understood what I was about and what I'd create for them and lucky lucky enough and we've always had these people along the way and we've also seized every moment with 
every client. Like it's always become something bigger than what it started out to be. And they've all jumped onto that bandwagon and sort of helped us become who we are. And, you know, I think about every single client and different turning points and, um, you know, think about how much they've influenced us along the way too. And that idea of investment is something that I was slightly slow to come on board that I think for the first uh, two years of our studio, neither or neither Dave or I drew a salary. Uh, we just had our rent paid. And David would invest everything into uh, from photography and uh, every benefit would go straight back into the studio. And it was probably within about eight months I realised that that was actually the best strategy because it came back tenfold and now we've got a really great position with in the studio and that has been from his understanding of how to invest in, in business. And now we have a lot of studios that started up at the same time that just say, how did you do it? And um, I always revert back to uh, there was an Ethan Hawke film, Gattaca, and there was a scene where the two brothers were swimming and they'd always play this game to see how far they could swim. They knew on the other end of the island there was land, but they just didn't know how far. And one day the Ethan Hawke character just kept on swimming and never returned. And so years later he met up with his brother and the brother's like, I, I don't understand, how did you do it? Like, how did you get across? And I always think about this with our studio. And he said, I just didn't save energy, energy for the swim back. And that's the way Dave works. He does not save energy for the swim back. <laughs> so if he invests in something, he's going to do it. So um, at first I was dragged along. <laughs> and now I'm the one that's dragging Because I, I, I get it and I understand it. That's I, an amazing yeah. quote, though. I, I've always sort of, yeah, I think it's a great analogy too. But, I, you know, I always think, I always knew that if I was going to set up a studio, it has to be an amazing studio amazing design great co everything that encapsulated what we thought i thought it could be you know and you know that level of investment you know is something that i wanted to throw into it because i knew it wouldn't be a strong representation of who i was so it, you know i don't really even think back that i thought it was a bit of a gamble i just kind of felt like it was just the right thing to do and i i, I think now some, sometimes i laugh i think oh i, I was actually quite quite bold when I was like setting it up like so, what what you know now is almost like you would sort of run into the fire a little bit but you know I was terrified yeah but uh, I think that that helps because you sort of just go for it yeah you know for and sure. you, you know I always think you know I can always I obviously resolved every we we worked our way out of it but yeah I think do you think that a part of that was gut? Do you think that you were just listening to instinct? Yeah. And I mean, it's interesting that you say that other people say, how did you yeah, do it? Yeah. I, I think I'm just instinctual in a lot of things. Like with design, like I just know what's kind of right, what I think's right for our projects or my process or the site. Like I just have this gut feeling. And I think because we work in private residential and they're so bespoke and so customised for that client, like I instantly just jump into, I just, they always think, oh, so sure, we'll tell you a little bit about ourselves or brief and I'm kind of weirdly don't listen because I just, <laughs> like, I just, I just always have this gut instinct about thing and that when it's finished, they're always like, oh, I don't understand how you think, I don't know, it's just like this weird it thing. It just comes to you. So I do think we probably run a lot on gut instinct. 
both of us. Do you think it's true of people? Do you think you've made decisions about clients and, and also staff based on sort of a gut feeling? I think with clients, 100%. Uh, every client that we have worked with, we not only call a friend, we also call family. So when working with our clients, again, we're not interested in anything that feels transactional. It has to be about relationship and it has to be from an understanding that what we're doing is we're creating these spaces that allow families to deal with everything that families have to deal with, you know, and so it is highly personal and we, we know more sometimes about our clients than their families and so we create these really beautiful environments where they have space to talk about their hopes, their dreams, their failures, everything. Um, and when working on someone's home, it's so intimate because you're dealing with something that they've fantasised and something they've dreamt about for so long, but you're also dealing with the complexities of their relationships with each other and also you're dealing with money. And so whenever you're bringing all those things together, it's like Christmas Day. It's, <laughs> people have all these expectations, but it never turns out the way you think it's going to. But it's our job to make sure that the turkey's there, the chicken's there, and the stuffing's perfect. Um, and That's we a great analogy. <laughs> and we enjoy, we really enjoy that process. So what is a benefit for us is like, for example, during the lockdown, we had most of our clients bringing not only gifts, but cooked meals. Like the, they were very generous in making sure that they looked after us as well. And we, and ditto, like we went around and, and gave boxes of fruit and flowers to a lot of our clients. But that level of um, community and generosity extended to our clients. That's amazing. So I, I want to go back a, a few steps because you've talked a bit about the the material library and, and the book library. Um, and I think one of the things that is hard for someone like me not to love about what you guys do is what you've... I've heard you refer to as the pleasure wall. Um, and I'm, I guess now I'm specifically talking about the books and the magazines. So I'd love for you to talk a bit about, you know, why you still love print um, and and what role those materials play in the, the work process and the studio culture as well. So, yeah, I've always loved books and magazines so the way I kind of compute with how I design is I'll just I've got this idea in my head but I'll need to refer to things so just flicking through a book and having yellow trace there and sketching at the same time it will always sort of manifest into something beyond what you were sort of conceiving at that time you know I think I'm more interested in I like specific books on you know designers to probably more so than generalized books so you know I kind of get really obsessed with sort of precedents and um you know once you start diving into their work and understanding their detailing and that then it kind of translates into your own work and you know I think design is so strong when you can sort of have nostalgia connected to it and you can recognise things and, you know, I think that's the clever part about, you know, creating these spaces. Like you can't really pinpoint when they were created because there's aspects from, you know, 20s, 10s, 80s, 70s, like all these great things that just manifest into something new and contemporary. And there's something to be said for allowing designers to spend time just in that one thing, which is research and knowledge and again that bounce of um, 
design love. So for us, when we start any project, we'll spend a good two, two days in the library where that library's pulled apart and there's 100 books on the table and Dave and the design team are going through them. Uh, and it's not necessarily about, you know, Dave has all his um, designers he loves like Giaponti, but it's more about engaging that relationship with our design team and creating that early bounce of conversation about, again, opportunity and what are the possibilities with these projects. It also allows us to draw in, again, Dave's intuitiveness with his clients and the architecture and bring in all the reference points based on those books. It also means that we're not, as a studio, we don't focus on uh, Instagram or Pinterest. Uh, we don't allow our team to even access those sites when they're designing. Really? Um, if they're at home and they see something they love, they'll send it through. But weirdly, it will be something that will connect back to the books. Um, and that's what we always... And that's because for us, it's really important to make sure that when Dave and the team are designing, it's honest with architecture and client. It doesn't need the noise of the outside world to come into that. Mm. You're getting trapped with algorithms now if you're like on Instagram or obviously we have those, you know, we have Instagram and, and you know, there are great things on there, but, you know, if, when you're actually diving deep into a project and that, you know, to generate that narrative and deliver something really special, like it all has to come from, from books mm. and magazines. Uh, we've always loved magazines too, you know. It's always like, you know, we love to publish our works because it's a celebration. You know, why why go through such a long journey of creating something really special and then it's just lumped onto the internet? Mm. You know, it needs to be celebrated in print. It always just feels tactile and, you know, and, you know, a story attached to it. You know, you start to share your process and, and the journey. Yeah, I think it's a real special moment. Mm. And I think that's the reason why we do focus on books and magazines because particularly with magazines, what we're interested in is the narrative. So, And we're also interested in voice. So that's something that we talk about a lot within our work is what is the voice of this project and what are we actually saying? And we that was something we always did, but it was only through the NGV Rig Prize that we really realised that as designers, we have a voice uh, and my background's film, so it's always what I would talk about was what is it, what is it do I have to say? And a big part of my involvement in the studio is almost saying, saying goodbye to my voice in film, but I've managed to then pick up that voice and bring it into design. Uh, and I think that's something that we're, we've both been excited by. Mm, I'm sure there's a lot of parallels in some ways. Yeah. Um, so going back to inspiration, I know that travel is an inspiration. I mean, it is for, you know, maybe almost every designer. Um, what's at the top of the, the bucket list for, you know, when that becomes an option again, <laughs> whenever all, that may be? All the coronavirus hotspots. <laughs> <laughs> you Oddly mean, enough, on China? Yeah. You know, Italy, New York. Right. Italy, New York, um, UK. And we've weirdly, like everyone asks us this question, we weirdly have the same answer, uh, separate holidays. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, we've already planned. Hey, I'll go here, you go here, then we'll meet here. Yeah, Dave's, Dave's going to start in LA, I'm going to start in New York, and then we're going to meet in San Fran and then finish in Milan. Oh, we travel, travel is a big part of our practice and our lives and we feel very fortunate that we can, we can do that, but... Um, 
it has been really interesting to have your wings clipped and sort of stationary. Um, only just recently, now even after being locked down again in in January and not getting away again, I realised like it, you do, you just gain a lot of inspiration from being able to travel, and that could be locally or internationally. So mm. it definitely has it has made me realise that it is a really vital part of of what the practice is. Um, and we we always knew that, but again, COVID has highlighted that. Prior to this year, for example, we were supposed to take the entire team to Mexico. So the entire team were going to be spending six days in Mexico and then four days in LA. Mm, and amazing. Can I prior, join the team? <laughs> <laughs> and prior to Mexico, we had taken the team to um, Tokyo and then two years prior to that, uh, we went to LA. So it's always been very much about the studio's process uh, and we also take them on mini trips. So we've taken them to um, Canberra, Hobart, Brisbane, Sydney um, and that has always been important. But us realising how much we have missed travel, it just highlights that the team also need it because we usually go away a lot. Mm. Do you think it's inspired you to maybe see more of Australia in the meantime while we can't... If we're allowed to. Yeah, well, I guess... <laughs> um, no, definitely. I think Australia Australia's quite amazing but funnily enough when you go across the cities here like it's very similar culture in a lot of a lot of spaces so I think for us we're probably more interested in heading out into the bush and mm. experiencing nature um here but uh but we're yeah we do regardless of traveling internationally and regardless of COVID we spend a lot of time up and down the east coast of Australia so we probably visit Tasmania three or four times a year. We visit Queensland probably two, three times a year and we're probably in New South Wales monthly. Mm. Um, and that's mostly for projects, clients? Yeah. Yep. Uh, and it's also like we're very much uh, entrenched in the art world. So uh, whether it be Adelaide, whether it be Canberra, if there's an exhibition uh, or an art opening that we want to be at, we'll be there. That's nice, yeah. <laughs> I can't wait for that to happen again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I actually wanted to go back to something you said earlier, Mark. You had actually mentioned um, that when the studio started that a lot of the new projects coming through the door were from, you know, word of mouth with the suppliers, which I find quite interesting. I wouldn't have necessarily, um, you know, guessed that that would be where new work would be coming through. And it, it explains a lot of things. Do you think that is really the main reason why, you know, the studio has... You know, that, that community outreach aspect of what you do seems to be fundamental to who you are and and how the studio operates. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I would. And it, it's in the heart of who Dave is and also who Dave's family is. Like a big part of the studio is that it's a flack thing. <laughs> and so although <laughs> country... There's it's a great an, name. <laughs> you really lucked out. <laughs> there's, there's an innocence but there's also an openness uh, and that's the thing that I was attracted to straight away. Um, and weirdly enough, not an ego. And I think that some, sometimes I'm always surprised. I was at a um, party once and it was an awards party and Dave was nominated and no one really knew who I was. And so this person, another designer, started speaking to me and and wasn't really saying nice things just because they thought that, like, how dare this young upstart come up and get all these things when they'd been in the design industry for decades. And um, 
it was evident to me in that moment that people didn't really understand or know Dave yet because he literally just burst on the scene. Um, but I think now, once now that everyone does know him, they know that this is actually who he is. Mm. He's someone who uh, is inviting, and you know, his idea is more the merrier. So, for example, you know, when we had our second birthday, he invited the entire industry um, and invited everyone that he could, just because that's the way he. Because <laughs> it was before COVID. <laughs> it was before COVID. Um, so we've just made sure that we just continue that. So we've continued mm. that on with the plinth drinks and a lot of the work that we do with the community and things that we're, we'd planned pre-COVID that we're now looking at is, you know, opening up our studio as a library uh, and that's something that was in the cards but since COVID's happened and particularly we were very moved by what happened in Australia and globally with Black Lives Matter is that, you know, our industry is very privileged and our industry is also very white. Mm. And so for us, it's always been important that there's diversity in general. And I think that is only good for everyone. Mm. So what we've decided to do is open up the studio to ensure that the younger David Flax or Mark Robinsons of the world can actually step in. Because I remember, you know, growing up, the idea of being involved in the arts or design industry wasn't anywhere on the horizon. You Mm. know, the idea of even packing shelves seemed to be too ambitious. And I think we forget that that's common for a lot of kids and that's common for a lot of communities. You know, we, uh, our studio is across the road from the Atherton Housing Estate and there there's so much talent, but those kids don't even know where to go. So mm. the aim with that is just to allow an open door for anyone to walk in and just say hi. And then hopefully from there we can share insights and information of how they can gain access to the industry. Mm, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really glad that you brought that up because I think, uh, I think first of all, from afar, you know, having watched Australia from outside of Australia for so long, I think I had a perception that the industry here was perhaps a little competitive and maybe not so open and collaborative as it seems to be, or at least the way you two make it look. <laughs> But also that it is quite rare for anyone in this industry to use their position um, as a platform to talk about politics and social justice. Um, It's really not common at all. And I think anyone that does do it is generally on the the polar opposite end of the political spectrum um, from, I think, all three of us sitting here today. Um, so, yeah, it's it's something that is really quite unique and I'm curious to know what the, the feedback has been like. Have you mostly had, um, you know, positive feedback about using your voice or using the position that you have to voice your thoughts and your opinions or is it being mixed? I, I, like, I, I was always a little bit hesitant about being, politi- like, you know, even at a dinner um, table, but, you know, just being able to speak a little bit you know, just unpacking it in small steps helps, you know, unfold or just, you know, people to understand and open up their views a little bit more. So, you know, I think it does help, you know, having Flax Studio as a platform and just, you know, engaging in another level of conversation. And these these are relevant conversations that need to be had, you know. I don't think any business can sort of float around now and not have some social social views. Um, that are connected to who we are as designers and people. Um, 
So I think the feedback is all. I think like anything, it, we've never had any negative feedback about it. And I, I sort of think that, you know, it is who we are, you know, and it allows people to understand us on a greater level. Like we're mm. not just sitting here just thinking about design, you know, design is inspired by everything. It's no different to art, you know, and the way we sort of look at our practice is like art, you know. So we are inspired by how the world is around us. You know, I think the first time that we sort of engaged quite explicitly uh, was when the yes vote was happening. And this is something that really impacted us really on a, on a uh, personal level and very up close and personal. So we did just put on our, on our window um, the, the rainbow flag with uh, five different languages just saying yes. And it was really lovely, like just people were knocking on the door and like we just had great conversations and that's actually what it's about is just having a conversation so from there we engaged um he's a friend of ours and collaborator but a really amazing um contemporary aboriginal artist Rika Rennie and he um the current artwork on there is just always yeah and with always it was it was an extension of what we did with yes but it was about the fact that it had been very apparent to us that our voice was an important one, as is anyone's. And as Dave has said, um, all politics is its conversation. And it's really important that we're a part of it. And particularly as the design community, I referenced it before, but we're not interested in a world that's transactional. It has to be something that gives back and it has to be something that, like Dave's design process, is a bounce. And it only makes our community and ourselves better. Like, we're not perfect at all. And, you know, we're, we're, well, I'm relatively quite complex. But the, the reality is, is we have become better people from being engaged in our greater community. And the, the lovely thing about it is, you know, and there's lots of, uh, particularly in the architectural world and design world, people who have been vocal. But the nice thing is, is we've had a lot of studios come to us and go, wow, we've always thought that these things and we've always wanted to say something but we always thought that politics didn't work in design and I always said back well it doesn't make sense to me I'm a filmmaker and politics is always at the art of heart of film uh, and politics is always the heart of art and politics is always the heart of any form of expression mm. so I think it's really important you know as designers and I call designers artists you have to know what your voice is and what are you trying to say and that's political. And, um, and from there, you know, very much I know from Dave, he was, like a lot of people, kind of uncomfortable at the start of being a part of those conversations. We extended those conversations when we did the Rig Prize, when we commented on Australia's treatment of asylum seekers. For us, those things now really have embedded the way we even design. So it's been tenfold in even just the way that we uh, work and create because it reminds us that, again, design is art. Mm, yeah, that yeah. rig prize was like a complete turning point for our studio and just the way of thinking on just a completely different level, like, you know, engaging, bringing more people to the fold and, talk, you know, having conversations and what does this mean to you and, you know, extrapolating that into design and furniture and and spaces and all these sort of con contradicting ideas, you know, sort of manifesting into one thing. So it was a really pivotal moment in our studio and just how we kind of 
operated and 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 thought you know i think it's really nice to keep evolving too you know yeah for sure and weirdly enough the person we've got to thank for the way that we work and also uh, the creation of the studio is Trump. <laughs> and how, how is that? I don't think he's getting that many thank yous. <laughs> well, it's not necessarily thank you. I want to hear this you. story. <laughs> but, um, you know, the studio came to be around 2015. Uh, it was then, you know, in our kind of second year that we were starting to really um, work out who we were and what we wanted from the studio. Um, and it was the time of Brexit, it was the time of Trump. It was the time of the Uluru Statement. And when Trump won, we were, we were, I think we were just walking around for a couple of days just gobsmacked that we could live in a world where this could be possible because we knew what was coming next. We knew that there would be attack on minorities. There would be attack on the queer community. There would be attack on uh, immigrants. And for us, we just kind of felt helpless. And we were walking past the Atherton housing estate as this was happening and just thinking what, you know, we can't do anything. Like this is, it's such a big, huge thing that we have no power over, including what was happening in our own government in Australia. So it was at that time where someone entered uh, what is known as Cubbies, which is an organisation that supports the kids of Atherton housing estate and they were exiting the gate. We always were kind of curious what it was. And we just said, hey, what, what is this? And they said, well, it's a space that was created in 1974, created by kids of the Atherton Housing Estate as a play space, a space that is safe from any form of rules from adults, which allows kids just to be kids, um, particularly when they don't have backyards. And then we said, well, it's weird. We're just seeing you because we walk past here every day and you're rarely here. And they said, well, that's because... Uh, under the previous Abbott government, uh, they had all their funding cut. So they weren't actually even able to be open because at any point in time they could have up to 300 kids from the local community inside cubbies and they needed to have trained professionals that were there and they could only afford to be open for about three days. So David and I literally walked away from that going, okay, that's what we do. Like, mm. let's, we don't, why are we worried about what's happening in America? Like, mm. this stuff's actually happening across the road from our street these uh, communities that actually deserve support. And so we started to um, gain funds for them. So now what we try and do yearly is keep Wednesdays funded. So that costs about $40,000 a year. Mm. And we also make sure that anything that we do, where, uh, whether it be the NGV or anyone that comes to us asking to do things, we somehow connect cubbies in. So when we did the NGV rig prize, a lot of that was around vocalising what was happening at Cubbies. Mm. We also did Best the Best Table, the NGV, and for that they asked us to create a table. And we thought, well, we don't need... Like, why should we do it? How about we just hand it over to the kids? So mm. the kids designed the table. Really? Yeah. Uh, so oh. then these 40 kids who worked on it um, have all exhibited at the NGV. Um, so it's about those. And again, I keep on referencing the word opportunity. It's about finding those opportunities and realising they're much bigger when they're shared. Mm. Um, if we hold on to them, they're nothing. That's very, very powerful. Well, I feel like I could sit here and chat to you guys for the rest <laughs> of the afternoon, but I'm sure, you have, I'm sure you have actual work to get back to. So I'm going to say thank you to you both. It's, it's really been great. Um, and, yeah, I hope you... 
continue doing what you're doing with the studio, but all of the other extracurricular activities and, and using your platform to voice your opinions. I think we live in a bit of an echo chamber at times and it is really good to hear some different stories. So, thank But also, you. also ditto on all the work that you do in bringing our design community together. So, we Well, I you. hope to be able to do more of yeah. that now that I'm actually Welcome here. Welcome to so Melbourne. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks.